Hello and welcome to another edition of the China in Africa podcast. I'm Eric Olander in Paris, and as always, I'm joined by my co-host uh, from the Stellenbosch University Center for Chinese Studies in Cape Town, South Africa, Kobus Van Staten. Kobus, how are you today? Very well, thanks. And you? Excellent. Well, we're joined also today by a special guest, uh, Kabwena Akumua Botong, who is uh, with the Ghana Exports Promotion Authority and also a part-time blogger for uh, the Ghana election project called Ghana Decides. And Kabwena, you know, welcome to the show. We're thrilled to have you on here because we're going to be talking a little bit about uh, you know, what's been the, the growing financial relationship between Ghana and China. And it's just great to have you part of the show. Thank you, Eric. I'm delighted to be on the show. Excellent. So Kabwena joins us from Accra, and we came across Kabwena because he's got an excellent Twitter feed at uh, Kabwena, which we'll promote at the end of the show, which we encourage everybody to check out. So uh, without uh, much further ado, let's get into our three topics for the day. Uh, it's been a really, really busy week in the Sudans, uh, particularly between uh, Sudan and South Sudan, and also the visit of President Salva Kiir to China, so we'll get into a little bit of analysis on that. Then we're going to talk, uh, we're going to go to Accra, and we're going to get some insights on the $13 billion loan uh, credit uh, that's available, and the billions, I think, between $1 and $3 billion that's making its way to Ghana for infrastructure and for gas deals. Cabuena is, of course, going to help us figure out through that. And finally, we're going to end on a a uh, piece that came across in The Guardian last week. Uh, this is from The Guardian Poverty Matters blog. Does aid to Africa from BRIC countries differ from traditional aid? We're going to have a little discussion on that. And in that, we'll also talk about some comments that came out of Mela Zunawi from Ethiopia as well. So let's start with the Sudan's Kobus and Kabwena. Let's first get uh, your perspectives on what a busy week it's been. I'll give a couple highlights, and then I want to get what your thoughts are. So President Salva Kiir heads off to Beijing. While he's off to Beijing, in Beijing, he says that the that Khartoum has declared war on South Sudan. Of course, the Khartoum government never issued those words. Uh, he cuts his trip short, makes his way back, does not come back empty-handed, of course, comes back with $8 billion of credit stuffed in his pockets as well. Kobus, what was your impressions of the dramatic events that occurred this past week in the Sudans with respect to the Chinese? Well, I mean, it's just, it's, it's so interesting, you know, it, it keeps, it's, it's like it changes every half an hour, you know, kind of, it's, it's really, it's really interesting to watch. I mean, you know, in terms of the loan, in the first place, it's such a massive loan. And then also, um, what was very interesting for me is is how careful the Chinese were to, to make clear that this loan money is not going to building a new pipeline that bypass the, the, you know, the north. Um, so, you know, kind of they're, they're giving the money for infrastructure, roads and bridges and hydropower and so on. But everyone made very clear that they're not giving the loan to, to build a pipeline through Kenya. Um, so, you know, it, that, that seemed, uh, you know, kind of an interesting maneuver. Now, just on, on the discussion of the loan, uh, it's an $8 billion loan. Uh, now, think about it in this context. South Sudan's entire GDP is $13 billion. Uh, the population is 8 million people, so this is a massive loan for a tiny country. Kobuena, what did you think when you heard about this big loan uh, that came through, and particularly in the context of the loan discussions that we've been having uh, in, uh, in Accra? Okay, uh, thank you, Eric. Um, I think the first thing, the Savakia saying that Sudan had declared war on them is from the fact that al-Bashir said he was going to remove the SPLM from power in South Sudan, if I heard that right. That's right. Yeah, so for him, I think that is 
Sudan declaring war on South Sudan. Now, with the loan and the, 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 the loan they secured from China, it's similar to what we have in Ghana. And it's similar to the thinking most African countries are developing. Now, it is important that we put infrastructure in place. And that's the argument the government of Ghana always makes. So if you can mortgage your oil or gas for that loan, why not go for it? So, the, you know, so as Cobus brought up, do you believe that, you know, this money is not supposed to be used for a pipeline, uh, you know, to the south, which is, you know, to avoid going through Sudan? But in some ways, it's pure politics, and just like in Ghana as well. These, the, the loan money is dedicated for very specific uses, but that doesn't mean that it, you know, the money that's not being used for these loans can't be used for other things. So, for example, now that the South Sudanese government uh, has all this money applied from the Chinese for roads and infrastructure, it frees up other monies to spend on a pipeline. So technically, they're you know, fully living in accordance with the Chinese rules, but wink, wink, nod, nod, they're getting their backdoor pipeline. Uh, do you, when you, when, you, when you see these loans and the internal politics, both in Ghana and in South Sudan, does it worry you? It doesn't worry me at all. I also agree with those who think that we need infrastructure, we need all these infrastructure and, um, to develop. And if we can get the infrastructure now and repay with our resources, why not? Okay. Okay, well, uh, that's the pragmatism yeah. that we hear from a lot of people across the continent. Kobus, when it comes to South Sudan, does it make sense to have infrastructure talks right in the midst of a growing war when warplanes have been launched from Sudan into South Sudan, bombing, uh, you know, in, in nothing else other than infrastructure and potentially even oil fields? What's, what was your reaction to that? I mean, you know, kind of, I, I, you know, yeah, you know, you're completely right. I was thinking, thinking that, you know, kind of, they might need that money to, to, to rebuild infrastructure that's being destroyed in the next few weeks. You know, I mean, um, in, in fact, you know, there's already talking about how, you know, kind of what it's going to take to actually repair the Heglik oil fields. You know, kind of where, uh, where the first conflicts erupted. Uh, so I mean, you know, it just. In, yeah, you know, kind of, it, it just it just makes me quite kind of depressed. This this particular conflict, you know, kind of, because it just, you know, from the outside, it just seems so unnecessary. Um, I mean, we we can see why it happened to why 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 it became like this, but at the same time, it just seems so counterproductive, you know. Um, the, you know, an interesting fact that I saw was that, um, you know, kind of, without assistance, you know, South Sudan would actually the South Sudanese government would run out of money in two months. Um, it wouldn't be able to pay its own, its own kind of, uh, you know, officials within two months if, you know, as now the, obviously this was before the loan. So, um, yeah, I just actually wanted to ask you, you know, kind of, um, you know, do, do you think in, in this, in a situation that's so kind of radically dire, um, you know, in the context of the oil production that's not moving, um, is there, does it make sense to, to spend this money on infrastructure? I mean, wouldn't it make more sense to spend the money on just actually running the country? Well, I, I mean, the problem for the Chinese is they're trying to be neutral mediators. I mean, this is really, again, as we've talked about in past podcasts, this is the first major international conflict that the Chinese have been tapped to be mediators. And so I think if they came down... Uh, and, and, you know, on anything other than, uh, you know, as Kavoyna said, everybody supports infrastructure. That is something that, you know, almost everywhere across the continent that people need. So that's a very safe way of, of the Chinese kind of to be able to inject money and to inject a voice in this. Had they said they taken sides, 
Had they, you know, contributed to the daily operations of the South Sudanese government, that may be interpreted by uh, Khartoum and al-Bashir's government as taking a side, and that's not something they necessarily want to do. So this was their easiest path of least resistance in order for them to, to move forward. I... It, it seems to me, just looking at what's happened in the past week, that you know anything short of an all-out war seems uh, unlikely. I mean, I think we're really going into a conflict here. Um, you know, the oil flow has stopped, and as the oil flow has stopped, that means it's terrible news for both the Sudanese and the South Sudanese. And so one has to wonder where does this end, short of an all-out war? And if it does go to war, the South Sudanese don't have the armaments that the North have. And so I think you're really going to see a potential bloodbath. Uh, on the scale of what we've seen in Darfur. That's pure speculation on my part. That's not founded in any type of inside knowledge, but it just seems that to, that seems to be the direction we're going in. Kabwena, final thoughts on Sudan before we move on to the next topic? Yeah, I think apart from China wanting to stay neutral in all this, China will also be looking at economic decisions and not political decisions. It's, I think China is not financing the pipeline because it is looking at the economic benefits more than the political the implications here. Yeah. So in all this, China will stay neutral. I think China will ask the African Union to negotiate and bring a solution to all this. China will be in the background doing all that in my perspective. Yeah. Seeing how well the African Union and ECOWAS have done in Mali, I think China will be urging the African Union on to find a solution in South Sudan. So I think China will remain neutral but they will still look out for their economic benefits. And do you get the sense that the perception of the Chinese in, uh, you know, as a mediator in this conflict is being taken serious in other African states and in the region? Yeah, it, it is. It is. I mean, some are urging that China steps in, but I think the right person to step in here is the African Union. So and at least China has list itself and its citizens working in South Sudan from, or in Sudan from any kidnapping or whatever might happen. And that would fit very closely with Chinese, you know, broader Chinese foreign policy, which does like to work through multilateral institutions and does, again, you know, Kobus, you and I have talked about this in the past, you know, pushing the limits of the non-intervention uh, doctrine and the idea of the Chinese not having to intervene themselves, rather have a multilateral regional organization like ECOWAS or the AU uh, get in on the ground. That seems to be the direction it might be going in. Kobus, any your final thoughts on Sudan? Well, I think the one thing to maybe keep an eye on is that, you know, as, as we've mentioned before, you know, infrastructure loans from China usually comes with some kind of link to Chinese construction companies and therefore also Chinese personnel. You know, so, I mean, China had already, was already burned by, by, by Chinese workers being kidnapped in South Sudan. And uh, just this week, uh, you know, kind of a demining team of four people, including one South African guy, uh, was was arrested by Sudanese officers, um, so, you know, uh, you know, on 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 accusations that they're being that they're spying, even though they said they were busy removing landmines. So, you know, if more Chinese workers kind of move into that kind of into a, a South Sudan Sudan kind of war zone, that could complicate China's position considerably. Okay. Well, I have a feeling that we will be back on this subject next week, uh, as it does seem to be a topic that's uh, moving very, very quickly. Let's now move uh, over to a slightly more peaceful environment in Accra, in Ghana, uh, where there's been a lot of talk over the past four to six weeks about the billions and billions of dollars in loan guarantees that are going to uh, from China to Ghana. In fact, just a couple weeks ago, the Ghanaian government approved 
the first tranche, uh, and we're going to let Cabuena explain the numbers because they are very confusing, the various numbers, but basically a $3 billion loan credit uh, was approved by the Ghanaian government, and, uh, and that will start for uh, natural gas development as well as you know information communications technology to support that natural gas development. So, Cabuena, where are we right now with respect to the loans? And do me a favor and just back up and give us a little bit of a context onto the various loans and the dollar amounts that we're talking about. Okay. So, first of all, there's a $3 billion loan from China, from the Chinese Development Bank. Now, Earlier on, people were expecting that Ghana would get a full $3 billion, but last week we all found out it was going to be $1 billion. Now, what really happened was that and a policy think tank in Ghana had stated that the Chinese were going to do a risk analysis, and they wouldn't go ahead and give us all that money at a go. Um, this is basically because of past experience and more also because we are in an election year, and f for me, I think the Chinese wouldn't want to invest so much money in the country which will probably end up changing its government. So now we have this Chinese loan, the first tranche, like you said, for gas infrastructure. Then the second tranche, which will probably come, the government says it's going to come in the coming months. But uh, from our estimates, my estimates, that of Imani Ghana and civil society, we think that should probably come, let's say, maybe next year. Next year. And with that, the ministries, the municipal assemblies and the metropolitan assemblies in which these projects will be executed, have started working on the procurement process. So when this is true, then we can go through the phase and get the loan approved and signed. Now, you mentioned one very key point is that this loan discussion comes right in the middle of a presidential campaign. Uh, yes. And so the, the, the first tranche was approved a couple weeks ago. Now, uh, it came out this week that Nana Akufo-Addo, who is the NPP opposition party candidate, uh, is coming out really strongly against the, the the decision of John Adam Mills' government to 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 take the loans. He says he's you know the Mills government is overextending uh, the Ghanaian government in into debt dependency with the Chinese, and is really also the infrastructure that's going to come is you know he had a, a really kind of you know snappy quote where he basically said if we're going to build. Uh, if we are going to build a road in Ghana, he said, and I quote, let's build one that lasts 20 or 30 years, not just two or three years, making reference to the perception of low-quality Chinese infrastructure. Um, so what are the politics in Ghana of this loan? Obviously, there's, you know, it's very, very sensitive. But one of the things that Kobus and I pointed out earlier on was we really thought that the debate, this open debate that's been going on for months was actually something very, very healthy. Uh, and we don't see very much of that open, transparent debate in African politics. So where are we today in terms of the politics of this loan? Okay. Um, Eric, opposition bashing of government going for loans is quite normal in Ghana. I remember the current administration, the NDC, when they were in opposition, they did bash the NPP, who are now in opposition, for going to China for a loan for the Bui Hydro Dam. So this is quite normal. And also, there's this thinking about Africa rising in, in Ghana, where we think we should move away from taking loans, all these huge loans from countries, into, into finding our own resources to finance our own projects. So that is, and people would readily support somebody who says, okay, let's not go for a loan from China, from the USA, or anywhere. Let's find the resources in Ghana. So I think the opposition is probably playing on that. Yeah, but, that's, could also but isn't that wishful thinking, though? Because at the end of the day, 
To develop the natural gas extraction industry requires billions and billions of dollars, technical expertise, huge resources that most African governments, if not all, don't have. Yes, and um, our government has argued time and time again, the president and the vice president have argued that we need infrastructure, we need all this infrastructure to develop. People, children are dying, there's maternal mortality and all that. How do we resolve all that? Do we wait 10 years till we get the proceeds from the oil before we're able to put all that infrastructure in place? Or we go to China and let them have them build this infrastructure for us? COVID, so, oh, go ahead. No, finish up. Yeah, yeah, so it's quite divided in this country. Some, okay, I, I agree with the government's perspective and others with that of the opposition. But at the end of the day, what people always say is that government should look out for the best deals. Kobus, what's your thought on this? Well, you know, kind of, um, it's, you know, as, as we mentioned before, I think I think it's good that um, that the terms of these kind of deals and the and the impact of the loans um, get to discuss in more detail, you know, kind of in in Ghanaian society, you know, kind of because I think as you mentioned, it is rare in African society to have the actual terms of the loans discussed and whether a loan is a good thing. Uh, rather than, you know, whether we can get one or not, you know. Um, Kwabena, I'd like to actually ask your opinion. Um, as I understand that uh, the the new new patriotic party, the current opposition, only lost by lost by a, quite a small margin in the previous election. Um, yeah. If they come, um, if they come into power this time, do you think that they will actually renegotiate the loans as as their leader said that they might? Um, I doubt they will. I doubt they will. The priority for Ghanaians now, I think, is with infrastructure. But then again, we have a case in point where somewhere in 2002, um, the opposition MPP, when they were in power, they cancelled a loan agreement between um, Ghana and China, sort of. There was this loan agreement from the Exim Bank of China and the uh, CAUF for a factory in Ghana. I don't have, I'm not too sure about the details, but that was the... the the, the tranche was supposed to be released around that time was cancelled by our government because they thought the company which was in Ghana and receiving the money wouldn't be in a position to pay back. But I doubt there will be a departure from these loans from China. Well, Increasingly, we need the infrastructure and I think every government would aim at providing that infrastructure. You know, Kabwena, you and I talked uh, over Twitter a couple months ago or it was weeks ago, I'm not even sure anymore, but uh, about how, uh, you know, a lot of the Ghanaian opposition, Mr. Akufu Addo, is looking at Michael Sada in Zambia. And he took a, you know, yeah. Michael Sada in Zambia took a very strong line against the Chinese in his campaign and for many years. Um, but now, once Michael Sada is in power, um, he's been, you know, a very skilled negotiator with the Chinese. And Michael Sada's point, of course, is that he wants the Chinese to negotiate fairly with Zambia. Um, so, my, I guess, is the, is the Ghanaian opposition potentially putting themselves into a corner? By you know coming out harsh against the Chinese, and then when they if they do come into power, um, will they have a difficult time kind of backtracking on some of these comments? Well, in Ghana, there's a growing resentment towards the Chinese in terms of the low quality of products being imported into Ghana, the low quality of the construction works they do, and the involvement of Ghan um, Chinese in retail trade, which is forbidden by our Ghanaian laws, and in illegal mining. So it could also be that the opposition is playing. Is playing politics with this, trying to get Ghanaians to be on their side and say, okay, we just like SATA, don't like the Chinese in here. But I think if they get elected, they will change their stance, just like SATA has. 
It's interesting, and we're going to pick this topic up again uh, in in the future podcast. We talked about it last week, which is the role of Chinese merchants uh, and and talking about the growing presence of Chinese in the retail and merchant class, and that's something that's causing a lot of uh, problems across the continent. So let's move on now to our third and final topic. This was a, a blog post that came out of the the Guardian this week on the po Poverty Matters blog, and it said, "Does aid to Africa from BRICS countries, BRICS of course is Brazil, Russia, India, China, and South Africa, differ from traditional aid?" And it was an interesting post in that it it kind of criticized both uh, both traditional donors as well as the BRIC donors. On the one hand. Uh, you know, coming out, what you know, I've taken a pretty strong, clear line against uh, traditional aid in the sense that I don't think it's worked, I don't think it's effective, uh, and and you know, and there's also, as as the the author of this blog post points out, that the West has had an enormous amount of hypocrisy with its aid uh, to Africa over the years. Now, on the other hand, in this post. The writer then says, well, the, the BRIC countries are also coming in with a political ideology as well, and it's not simply aid for the point of aid. Aid in with China comes with strings attached, even though they really pride themselves on saying no strings attached. But of course, if you support Taiwan, you don't get aid from China. Uh, there's all sorts of other conditionalities that are there, but there is politics as well in BRIC aid. And the fact is that you know this whole line of South-South cooperation, the author challenges as well. Cobus, what was your thought on this uh, idea of the BRICS becoming uh, a new form of aid and maybe not as altruistic as it sounds? Yeah, I think, um, you know, I, th I thought that the blog post was very good. And also um, that author who is now, my brain just blanked, and I can't remember his name, but um, he, uh, you know, his, his, his work generally in the, in, on, um, you know, kind of in, in The Guardian is very good at, um, at unpacking aid and showing, uh, you know, kind of what... You, for example, the comparative sizes of aid contributions from different countries. You know, kind of in, in one of his posts, he made the point that the Bill and Melinda Gates um, organization alone, foundation alone, um, their aid comes almost to the size of Chinese aid. Um, you know, kind of so so it's it's very interesting to see. I mean, it it was in very interesting kind of a division he made between saying that Western aid tends to be more conditional and more based on the social sector and Eastern, in this case, including Korea and Japan, um, you know, kind of aid tends to be less, can have uh, kind of lower levels of interference, but then also be more infrastructure based. Why do you think Asia seems, is so obsessed with infrastructure? Well, Kabwen, I think that might be a good, uh, you know, good question for you. Yeah, well, I think infrastructure moves a country because if you don't have the right infrastructure in place, you don't have the right manufacturing, you don't have the right roads, you don't attract investors. And even investors locally wouldn't want to invest in a country where the infrastructure is not well built. So that, that is one of the, the reasons why there's so much emphasis on infrastructure. But then again, the Chinese and the BRIC countries, they see opportunity in Africa. And I think they are their aid is a little bit different from that of the West, which we were receiving formerly. The Chinese, for example, are willing to give aid where the Americans won't give aid. And the aid the Chinese are giving is no different from the aid China received during the, uh, when they were emerging from the Cultural Revolution, the aid they received from Japan. Yeah, I mean, so they're, they're basically using their own lessons. This, of course, is Deborah Braudigam uh, at American University, her main kind of, you know, analysis on the subject. The other part for me is that a lot of the aid that's gone into, from the West into, uh, into Africa is not 
entirely been for Africa. And I think that's a very important thing to, to take into account. I'll give you an example. Uh, Congo Blogs, which is uh, you know, a very high-profile blog initiative, uh, received uh, you know, a significant portion of its funding from the European Union and the French government, and then was required to spend a majority of that money with French companies in France. Um, that's not aid. That's a jobs program for the French. Um, you know, we have example after example after example of Western aid being tied to Western contractors. And, and so it really is, again, is it aid to help people or is it aid to help a domestic jobs program? Um, and so, so that, that's one part of it. The other part of it is the fact that I, I see the West, and, you know, Kabwena, I'd be interested in your point of view on this, you know, speaking a very different language than what China is speaking. And this is where the South-South, I think, does resonate. On the one hand, the West and the United States and the European Union is talking about, you know, political transparency. We're talking about capacity building. We're talking about democracy, lack of corruption. And you talked about earlier on in Ghana, it's all about economic issues is what people are. Corruption, transparency, democracy, people consider important. But at the end of the day, food in people's bellies, shelter, and the core economic interests are paramount. Yeah. So in Ghana and mostly in other African countries, these are the most important things. They, they, they need food in their belly. And with aid from the West, which we received for the past years, considering the fact that we've done structural adjustment programs from the IMF and the World Bank, we've done through all these um, adjustment and economic programs, and we've ended up being more poorer, being highly indebted. So we, we see, okay, we've been working with these donors for past 30 years. It hasn't worked for us. So why don't we take them to the break countries and see their new form of aid, how it will be beneficial to us. And if we can look at this very well, like most African countries, most African leaders see that they see opportunity in their transactions with the break countries. This can be a win-win rather than the previous where we always ended up losing. Well, Kobus, you know, uh, you know, on that point, this week, Mela Zanawi, who is the Prime Minister of Ethiopia, came out, you know, really swinging this week, uh, you know, in, in just some very sharply worded messages for, uh, for the West, basically telling the West to go get stuffed, uh, and that, you know, he welcomes the Chinese presence. Now, we've talked about in the past the fact that Ethiopia is sucking in billions of dollars in Chinese investment for shoe manufacturing, for auto manufacturing, and for other development, business development related to jobs, not necessarily aid, uh, but Zanawi's comments, did it strike you as, as, as alarmist in any way, or is this something that we've been hearing, uh, you know, a pattern for the past couple of years? It struck me as a, you know, kind of pretty much part of the pattern that we've seen over the last years. He might be a bit more emphatic than they usually, than African leaders usually are, you know, but, uh, but he, you know, he kind of made the point that, uh, you know, for example, he said that I'm reading now, the official doctrine among the international financial institutions, which in the past determined policy in Africa, was that infrastructure would be taken care of by, by the private sector. Well, we waited 30 years and nothing has happened. When the Chinese companies came in and started building infrastructure in a big way, they were filling this major gap in the development of Africa, and we in Africa should be very satisfied with it. And yeah, I think, you know, kind of, it, you know, um, I think that's... The, 
a, a strong statement of the one side of, you know, kind of the African view of, 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 of China. And I think um, Kobena kind of touched a little bit on the other side, which is which is the satisfaction, A, with, with how long the infrastructure lasts, and B, you know, kind of the, about, uh, you know, kind of the amount of Chinese people who settle in, in, in Africa. Um, and I'd actually like to ask him, you know, kind of how he feels in Ghana and elsewhere, how the two are balancing each other. Okay. So I, I have this little survey I've been doing in Ghana. When I meet people, I ask them, when you hear China, Africa, what are the first things which come to your mind? And usually people say they, they, they see opportunity. Others will also say they see invasion. That's in relation to them being in the illegal trade and all that stuff. And others also say, well, maybe another form of colonization or maybe a win-win, but it's all up to us. So the bottom line is, the African countries need infrastructure. They, they see these Chinese people coming in day in, day out, and we welcome them. As long as they obey the laws of our countries, I think we are okay with them. But, you know, on this question of the quality of the infrastructure, and this is something yes. that, uh, you know, has obviously been an issue in, in Ghana, but it's been an issue across the continent. Um, it's something that frustrates me just a little bit, because if you talk to Chinese project managers and you talk to the Chinese state-owned enterprises, they will tell you they can build state-of-the-art infrastructure if they're given the right time and the right budgets and the right resources to do it. But too often, these infrastructure projects fall victim to domestic internal African politics. Um, no better example than in, in the DRC in the Congo when Kabila had an election last year and those infrastructure projects had to be, be finished before the election in order for him to claim credit for the infrastructure in his campaign. So they rushed the job to get it done not because the Chinese produced low quality infrastructure but because they were subject to political considerations. And so I wonder a little bit in Ghana. We we're seeing, you know, the infrastructure become politicized as well. Is is it is it fair to blame the Chinese for low quality infrastructure if there is this domestic political uh, aspect to it that is out of their control in some senses? Well, I don't know about the building materials these Chinese use, but often people have complained that the materials they bring in are inferior. That's just one point. So. In that respect, if that is true, they can take the blame for that. But with governments giving them, giving them pressure, that I see quite often. In Ghana, for example, the Bui Dam, I think one of the release of the loans delayed a little bit. And it is expected that it should shift the, the completion date a little bit further. But then again, the vice president, when he went to China, appealed to Sino Hydro to fast track the project to work on it. At least we get we start receiving power from it this year, and I think all these pressures, all these pressures on the Chinese lead to the poor infrastructure. The roads the Chinese are constructing in this country as well. If you've been in power for four years and you've not completed the road, and an election is near, then people start to make politics out of it. Okay, so you've been in power for four years and you've not completed this road yet. So then again, you have the ministers, the vice president, the president visiting all these construction sites. Uh, on a monthly basis or so, and urging them to finish, complete the projects ahead of schedule or on time. So with this, I think the blame can be on the Chinese, it can be on the, uh, the African governments as well. Is a, a crappy road better than no road at all? Uh, that's a difficult one. I think a crappy road is not better than no road at all. 
it's better you have no road at all than to have a crappy road. Because if you have a crappy road and you have to replace that road in the next five years, then okay. what's the point of building it? That's fair enough, fair enough. Kobus, final thoughts before we wrap up? I mean, it's just there was a very interesting, uh, you know, kind of point that came out, um, uh, you know, at, at the kind of end of, of, of these articles about what uh, Zanawi was saying, um, you know, kind of that that he feels that that uh, engagement between Chinese factory owners, particularly starting factories in, in Ethiopia, and Ethiopian workers is busy changing perceptions of African workers, and you know, kind of improving that that um, African workers can be as as Ethio as uh, as productive as Chinese workers. Um, it was interesting, you know, kind of it, it seemed to kind of touch in this kind of weird way about anxieties around you know kind of you know stereotypes about the different countries uh you know you know kind of and you know chinese workers being seen as super super productive and you know african workers not so much and it was interesting that that actually came up and, and was addressed in in explicit terms well that article was called china picking up the pieces in africa and that is in uh the china daily so you can look there and then the article on the Poverty Matters blog on The Guardian was written by Jonathan Glennie uh, from Thursday, April 26th, so if you want to search for that. That is all the time we have for today. It's been an absolutely fantastic discussion. Thank you so much, Cobuena, for joining. If people want to find you on the web, either on Twitter or elsewhere, where can they go? Okay, so people can find me on Twitter, Kwabena, K-W-A-B-E-N-A. And how about Ghana Decides if they want to follow your work there? Yeah. Yeah, so they want to follow Ghana Decides too. That's also on Twitter, Ghana Decides. Ghana Decides. G-H-A-N-A-D-E-C-I-D-E-S. Ghana Decides. Excellent. And that's .com or .org? .com. .com. And it's also on Twitter as Ghana Decides. And remind me when the election is? The election is in December, December 7th. Okay. Well, we'd, we'd love to have you back on the show uh, in, the next few, in the next few months just to kind of keep us up to date on how this discussion of the Chinese and the loans and the elections are coming along. But thank you again for joining us. And, Kobus, if people want to find you on Twitter, what can they do with your somewhat convoluted Twitter address? My very annoying Twitter, Twitter handle that I can now never change. Um, it's at Stadenesque. That's S-T-A-D-E-N-E-S-Q-U-E. Excellent. Uh, and you can follow uh, Kobus. He's tweeting. Uh, well, you're getting you're tweeting now more and more every day. I notice there. So uh, yes, excellent. yes. I'm trying to kind of up my tweeting. Yeah. Excellent. And so we, uh, you can also find me at E O Lander. That's E O L A N D E R on Twitter. I'm tweeting four to five times a day now with the top headlines from Africa. And also, we're in the process now of launching a Facebook page uh, at the China Africa Project. So we will have a Facebook page out hopefully in the next few weeks to again facilitate this discussion that we've had here with Cabuena and others to kind of bring more of the discussion about uh, loans and infrastructure and politics and diplomacy all related to the Chinese engagement in Africa. Thanks so much for listening. We'll talk to you again next week. <laughs>